So the name of this message is Natural or Spiritual? And when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, as we read the passages, we recognize that Paul is actually speaking to this church. And he is not speaking to unbelievers, he's speaking to believers. And he is speaking to a group of people that are hungry for the things of God and a group of people that are uh, zealous for the gifts of the Spirit in operation in their church, but they also had some things that need to be corrected. So as we go through 1 Corinthians, it's going to take us quite a few weeks uh, to get through all of it. There's a lot of great information in there. I hope you, as well as I, will take it and apply it to our lives and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? It was Paul writing to a group of believers in Corinth, but it was the Spirit of God bearing witness to the truth, and the Spirit of God bears witness to the truth in us as well. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to switch over here and start going through the slides right here. And when you guys get it up, we'll just merge the slide count, and we'll go from there. So again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. That's where we're going. If you're using a digital Bible or a paper Bible, whatever it is, we're doing our group launch. It's August 29th. That will be the Sunday that we kick it off. And then these various groups won't meet on the 29th. This question comes up every time. So I just want to be clear. We won't be meeting the 29th. That'll be the Sunday we talk about launching groups. And then the various groups that meet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or Thursdays will be meeting that week after the 29th. Now, some of those groups have continued to meet. Our group continued to meet all the way through the summer. Others have taken a break. So I just encourage you again to be a part of one of those. What Paul does in this letter and what really seems to stand out to me at least in the message we're going to look at today is he makes a comparison and and i encourage you as you go through these 14 verses as you look at these verses recognize there's a comparison being made between the natural and the spiritual because every time you single time you read one of these verses we find that we ourselves are either in one category or we're in the other because really what it comes down to we can be born again believers but we're either living our life led by the Spirit of God, or I'm living my life in this old natural man that I've always been, uh, and sometimes I do one better than the other. Go to the next slide. There you go. Stay right there. So what Paul's doing is he brings us a comparison between the wise and the foolish, and we talked about that last week a lot. He also talks about the difference between the wisdom of man and living a life that's filled with the Spirit and walking in the power of God. He talks about the difference between the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of God. Because I cannot live in both all... Well, both are competing for my affection, attention, and my leading. But I can either live as a natural person or live as a spiritual person. And Paul is bringing this up to them because they are, again, a church. They're a body of believers, and he's making these truths known to them. And is really what his letter is all about is he's compelling them or, or challenging them to grow in the faith, move from just being a believer in Jesus Christ, but to being a mature believer in Christ, but go past just the moment of accepting Christ as my Savior, but actually allow him to start to transform who I am and how I do my life. So the central purpose of this message today and what I see throughout this scripture is to be led by the Spirit of God not being led by just the natural man. And that's not easy to do. It takes some effort. Now, what about, what's a natural man? Well, natural man, pretty easy. When I say man, obviously I mean people, men and women. Uh, natural man, the, uh, the person who doesn't know the Lord, the person who's just living their life in the flesh as they do, they're, they're being led by their mind, their will, their emotions, the things that come to their mind. I must be right. That's how I make my decisions. Whatever feels good to me, that's what I'm going to do. It appeals to, and my lifestyle and my choices appeal to the things that are tied to my emotional desires, the things that feed me and make me feel good about myself. But the spiritual person, the spiritual person is being led by the Spirit of God. They recognize that they have the Spirit of God living in them. They may not have come to the full understanding of that, but they're living a life of prayer and learning to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to them. And I challenge you on whoever, who, whoever is standing up here speaking the Word of God. I challenge you. What I call it is putting your spiritual antenna up. And, and what I mean by that is 
And I do the same thing. If somebody tells me they're preaching out of a certain section, I can very quickly in my mind think, well, yeah, I think I know what they're going to talk about. But try to put that aside. Try to put aside whoever's speaking up here is not your favorite or they are your favorite or whatever. Push that aside and go, Lord, what is it you want to say to me today? Because he can speak to you, and, and, and he speaks to me even while I'm standing here speaking. It's amazing. We're talking about the spirit of the living God. And he lives in us. And he wants to be a part of our lives. And he wants us in prayer to listen to what he's saying. And he wants us and we go into the word of God, not to just read it like a book, flipping pages and reading the chapter, but to go into it and go, Lord, what is it in here you want to say to me today? And to approach it that way and allow him to lead you through life. See, Paul's point is that the spirit of God lives in in us. When he's writing to the Corinthian church, he's, he's trying to make them understand in these 14 verses, the Spirit of God lives in you. So learn to listen to him and then obey what he's given the direction of. I remind you of this, this is Acts chapter 18, is where the whole missionary journey Paul went out. He launched out of Antioch. He went out on this missionary journey. We looked at this last week. He left Antioch. He went through Galatia, uh, Galatia the area that we now call Turkey. He makes his way through Asia, wanting to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's prevented. He makes his way over to Philippi, then to Thessalonica, goes down to Berea. He makes his way into a city called Athens, and then from Athens, he goes to Corinth. And that's where we are today. And we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit between Corinth and Athens just to make a couple of points, and I hope you can stay with me on that. But Paul experienced trouble. Paul wasn't just a super Christian walking in the Spirit beyond any approach or touch of the flesh or anything that was happening to him. In Thessalonica, he had problems. The problems followed him from Thessalonica to Berea. And then he went down to Athens. He had to go by himself initially until his friends caught up with him. And then he finds his way into Corinth. And when he made his way to Corinth, Jesus Christ speaks to him in a vision and tells him, Paul, don't be afraid. Why would Jesus speak to him and tell him not to be afraid? Because he had reason to be afraid. He says to him, the Lord spoke to him in Acts 9, 18, verse 9 and 10. He said, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So the Lord himself spoke to him. And we, just like Paul, we live in a world where there's opposition all around us. And the opposition is, hey, just give in. Just take the easy road. Just quit. Just back up. Quit trying to live a life that's so difficult. Just go with the flow. What the enemy wants to do is reduce our impact for the kingdom of God. Anything he can do. He'll use intimidation, he'll use fear, he'll use complacency, exhaustion, whether it's mental or emotional or spiritual, or anything else that he can use against you or against me, anything to prevent our growth, to prevent our, reduce our effectiveness for the kingdom of God, or to distract us from our purpose. And I'll tell you this morning, if nobody's told you lately, you have a purpose. You're not an accident, you didn't come into this world for no reason, and you're a member of the body of Christ, and you have talents and gifts and abilities, and you know it, and the enemy wants to stop you from using them. Because what he'll say to you, and I hear him say it to me, is who do you think you are? Well, I'm a child of the Most High God, and I'm available to be used by my king wherever he wants to use me. And I, I just get past myself and allow the Spirit of God to use us. And you need to do the same. What did Paul face? Paul got drugged before the Roman proconsul of Achaia. And I love this passage, so I brought it up again. In Acts 18, 14, we see Paul before this Roman uh, council, and, and he has the opportunity to speak and defend himself, and he knew how to do it, and he goes to open his mouth, and the Scripture said Paul didn't even get the opportunity to open his mouth. He was about to. He already had thought about what he was about to say, and before he parted his lips to say a single word, Galeo, the man who was the proconsul of the, the area, refused to even hear the case. And then I like the fact that in Acts 18, 18, just for good measure, it says after that that Paul stayed in that area still for a good time. Paul spent a year and a half there in Corinth bringing the word of God, even though the enemy tried to come against him and stop him from being effective. Paul didn't leave till the work was finished. I don't know how he made his decision when he left town. Some he stayed in a short time. Some he stayed in for years. Corinth, he was there for a year and a half, but Paul never left till it was time to go. 
And he clearly must have known that the Lord was ready for him to leave when it came to that time. Now, if I go back to the city he was at before he came to Corinth, it was a place called in Athens. He went to a place called Mars Hill. We talked about it a little bit last week. But the point is, they stopped listening to his message when he spoke of the resurrection of the dead. It would be like this morning, I say something up here in this message, and everybody in the room just gets up and walks out the door. They were done. When he spoke of the resurrection of the dead, they said that was the most foolish thing they'd ever heard, and they were done with it. It's foolishness. Don't want to hear no more. They cut him off. But it's the most important message in human history. So I asked you what I asked you last week. Is it foolishness or is it life-giving hope? And I know that I'm speaking to people in this room. I know I'm speaking to people online. We all have to make that decision. It's the most important decision we'll ever make. I'm either going to be led by the wisdom of God or I'm going to be led by the wisdom of this world. And that's what Paul's writing to them about and challenging them to make sure they're being led by the Spirit of God, the wisdom of God. And he pointed this out in chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's plan, God plans completely defies any level of human imagination. Nobody could have come up with this plan. Nobody would have understood it in the natural. And the person who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's complete foolishness. But God chose the foolishness of the gospel preached to set people free. That's why I can stand up here and share this message. That's why I can stand on the street corner and talk to somebody. That's why I can talk to somebody one-on-one or in a group and know that if I'll just open my mouth and I'll just tell them the truth, if I'll just share this hope that I have in me, the Spirit of God is able to take that and open their heart and bring them to salvation. And it is absolutely outside of my control, and I can't make it happen. All I can do is open my mouth and be real. Even the faith that we received to believe the message is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 points this out. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, faith, right? And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. So even the fact that I received faith to believe the message of the gospel was a gift that I got from God. God, he reveals his wisdom in the greatest act of humility the world has ever witnessed. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, it said, we looked at this last week, but God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong, and God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The wisdom of this world is totally contrary to the wisdom of God. This world has its own natural order, but there's also a spiritual order. And Paul continues that direction as he steps into chapter 2. As we begin to look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he said, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul had the credentials. Paul had the ability. Paul had the training. If you will, you could say Paul had the, 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 not only the degree, he had the master's degree, the Ph.D. of his day. He was completely qualified. If he had desired to come into Corinth and present them a thesis on the, on the great things of God and the, the depth of the Word, he could have done so, but he didn't use any of the tools and abilities that he had or any of his degrees he declared the only thing that really mattered, and that's Jesus Christ crucified. And I believe that's because what happened back at Athens. When he was back in Athens, he used a message there to speak to the people, the Athenians. And when he spoke to the Athenians, he appealed to them according to the belief system they were already in. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not a wrong thing to do, but it's the approach that he took. And they had altars to many gods. They even had so many altars in their city to many gods, they had one that didn't even have a name of the God on it. It was to the unknown God. And if you're familiar with the scripture, Paul tried to take that, use that as a launch point to go and tell them who Jesus is. So he said, hey, I'm here to talk to you about this God that you don't know. 
He even quoted one of their own poets in Acts 17, verse 28. But when they took him to the Areopagus, which is just this huge rock outcropping over in uh, Athens where prominent uh, sessions would happen when there was something uh, that really needed a large stage, if you will, to be presented. That's where he stood, but he didn't present Jesus Christ crucified. He didn't present Jesus by name. At least if he did, it's not recorded in the Scripture at all. So it seems as though he was trying to be, as he says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, all things to all people. By some, there are some times I can reach some, but the point was he didn't get to the crucifixion of Christ. And we know this, you know this, you can talk about God, right? You can have a conversation with people about God as long as it's in a general sense. You can even maybe talk about Jesus as long as you're talking about him as a person. But when the conversation turns and you start talking about Jesus Christ crucified, what happens? It changes. When you start talking about the crucifixion of Christ, it makes everybody uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable. It's difficult to go there because when you get to the crucifixion of Christ, it makes people uncomfortable because it requires a response. I either accept it or reject it when I hear it. I can remember people sharing it with me before I came to Christ, before I came to faith. I didn't want to hear it. And they were uncomfortable. Some of them were bold enough to go there and to share it with me, and I'm grateful that they did. Paul, he's criticized for this message that he gave in Athens. People teach it as the wrong way to present the gospel. And I'm not here to dog Paul, but what I see out of this is the point is if I don't end the conversation, make the jump from the, hey, do you go to church? Hey, I go to church. You ought to visit my church to actually speaking about the crucifixion of Christ. Then I've missed the opportunity and I don't have the chance to bring somebody into this faith. And Paul seemed to have learned that in Athens. So when he got to Corinth, he wasn't going to make the same mistake again. He centered his message on the one thing that really mattered. And it wasn't easy for Paul. I don't think it was easy because he says so. When he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, he starts off and he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He's not just grabbing words. When he got to Corinth, he was afraid. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What had Paul been through up to that point? Let's just take a quick look. Just in the second missionary journey alone, when he started that journey, him and Barnabas are getting ready to go back out on another round, if you will, of visiting the churches that they had planted. Paul's there in Antioch. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go see them. And they went to go planned their trip, and Paul and Barnabas had such a big argument about Barnabas's nephew, Mark, that they split. And, and the scripture doesn't, make, doesn't hide it. It says they had, a, they had a major rift. They had a major split. They had a fierce argument. These two men who loved Jesus and loved each other and had done work in the kingdom of God together, they parted ways over this argument. And if you've ever been in a church split or you've ever had a relationship with another believer and something happened between you and it separated it hurts you don't get over that real quick Paul left there he was forbidden to preach in Asia he was arrested and beaten when he got to Philippi when he was attacked by a mob and had a riot in Thessalonica they followed him down to Berea and chased him out of town there and he went to Athens and he failed to launch a church there so when he shows up in Corinth all this is starting to Paul was human. You realize, right? I mean, we read the scripture and we think of Paul, we read his writings and, and we kind of get this idea that they kind of put him up on a pedestal. He was a great man of God, no doubt. But he was a man. He was walking this out just like we did. He came to faith in Christ through spectacular events. He was filled with the Spirit. He had a special call in his life, but he was walking this out just like we do, day by day, going, Lord, what do you want for me to do? How do I complete the task you've given me? Fear would come against him just like fear comes against you. Defeat would come against him just like it comes against you. Things were adding up in his life, making it so difficult that when he got to Corinth, Jesus shows up and says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here with you, and I have people here, and nobody's going to harm you. So what I take out of that is don't let fear stop you from sharing Jesus Christ with people you do life with. And it's not about 
enticing words of wisdom. It's not about persuasion. It's not about how well I can write this thing up, put all these words together, and how enticing I can make it. And that should really be empowering to each one of us. That should encourage us because that means I don't have to put some great plausible argument together. I don't have to be convincing enough that maybe somebody will come into the faith. I just have to open my mouth. I have to be prepared for sure. I have to know Scripture enough to at least be able to tell them what the crucifixion of Christ was about. The same as when I prepare a message to come up here. I prepare the message. But I'm not counting on my ability to get up here and convince everyone. What I'm counting on is that the Holy Spirit of God will actually take the opportunity and speak into the lives of the people that hear it, whether in the room or online. And when I reach out to someone one-on-one or in a group, I'm looking for the same thing. I'm expecting the Spirit of God to bear witness to the truth. This, this really came to life to me from years ago. And I, and I may have told you this before, and I forgive me if I have, but I, w- I was in an environment where I spent five days working with a guy, and he was not a believer, and, and each day we had the opportunity to share uh, what I believe and what he believes, and all through the week I was getting the opportunity to share Christ with him. And Friday came, and I didn't know if I was going to see him again, and here we were together again, and we were doing our thing. I could sense the Spirit of God there in the workplace. I, I, you know what I'm saying? You can sense it when he's there. But what I'll never forget, what empowered me forever, is the guy that didn't know Jesus said to me, what is that I feel in here? And I realized he feels it. He's aware that the Spirit of God is here. And I told him that. I said, the Spirit of God is here bearing witness to the truth. And it's time for you to make a decision. So if you'll be bold enough to speak and to serve and to go where he tells you to go, the Spirit of God goes with you. The Spirit of God is the one that bears witness to the truth. It's not, hey, Jim, can you put together an awesome, uh, convincing argument? It's just being willing to go. It's the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that comes through Him, not wisdom, not intellect, not great ability. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when anybody on the teaching team, you can ask people, anybody who preaches or teaches the Word of God, when they're preparing the message, they're looking for the Spirit of God to bring truth into the message. They're searching the Scriptures to be sure. They're attending time in prayer, and they're going, Spirit of God, bring to this message what you want spoken. But then when they get on the place that they're speaking, what they're counting on is that the Spirit of God will come out in the message and say what He wants to say. It's the power of God. It's not the wisdom of man. There's spiritual gifts. We'll get into this eventually in several weeks. We'll get down to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we talk about the spiritual gifts in those first 11 passages, but there are some spiritual gifts called the speaking gifts. Uh, You may or may not be familiar with these. Some of these, depending on the background you have, you know about this, some people may not. But things like the gift of prophecy, the gift of wisdom and word of knowledge, these things can operate while someone's standing on a platform to be sure, and it's not something they turn on, they turn off. It's the Spirit of God bearing witness to the truth and speaking through them, and then they'll come out of their mouth and they'll go, oh, that was pretty good, I wish I had thought of that. And it'll happen for you. It'll happen while you're witnessing to somebody. It'll happen while you're praying with somebody and speaking to somebody. And you may have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or even maybe prophecy working through you, and you may or may not even realize it when it happens. But it's the Spirit of God doing the work because that's what it's about. It's about spiritual wisdom. And that's what Paul is compelling us to and challenging us to step into. In verse 6 and 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what's the wisdom of this age? Look, we're not saying... Uh, that philosophy and psychology and science and archaeology are, are, are like an enemy of the cross or the enemy of the, co- uh, the gospel. That's not it at all. Those things, they add to our lives. Those things are, have value. But those are the kind of things that are acquired by study. Those are the things that you work out in your intellect. Those are things that happen as you analyze evidence. They're earned through human effort. And at the end of the evolution, you can look back and hang the plaque on the wall or hang the sheepskin on the wall and go, I earned that. You can feel good about it, and you should, because you put in the time, you put in the effort, but that's human effort. That's not what he's talking about. The wisdom of this age could be characterized among things like greed and corruption, entitlement, or selfish desire. It's basically the wisdom of this age is the sin nature that operates in this fallen world. 
It's the one that makes you say, I want more, I need more, I earn more, I desire more. You owe me more, and I'll take it from you to get it. What Paul is doing is he's making a distinction, and he's asking us to recognize that there's a life that's led by the Spirit, and there's a life that's led by the world system. And as believers in Christ, we have to decide which one we're going to walk out each day. The rulers of this age, they have a wisdom. The wisdom of the rulers of this age, what I thought of is, I'll go here. Uh, it doesn't matter what political party you're affiliated with or which one you align with. Uh, we could talk about that. I have my views. You'll have different views or maybe the same views. But no matter which political party you're a part of or which news agency that you tune into and you feel like they're telling you the truth and you're hearing the truth, uh, or which YouTube channel you subscribe to, or which Twitter feed that you uh, are following, doesn't really matter, because I'll tell you this, no matter whether they're trying out of integrity to do the best for us, there's no man, no woman on this planet that can fix the issues that plague our people, our, seer, our species, because they are all fallen creatures just like us, and they all need a savior just like us. They have the same problem that everyone born after Adam has had, and that is they were born into sin. We all need a Savior. And the only one that can fix this world is Jesus, the Christ. The wisdom of God is not gained by any level of study, although we do study. We should study the Word of God. But the wisdom of God doesn't come by my effort. The wisdom of God comes by the power of the Spirit of God. It's given by God. It's a work of His Spirit. I can't control it. Now, I can yield to it or I can ex try to resist it, I can try to conform to it, but I can't control it. He spoke of, Paul spoke of the secret wisdom from God. And where I went with this in my mind, at least, was here. God anticipated this. It was no surprise that man would fall. Original sin was expected from the beginning. When God formulated his plan for the world, he wasn't surprised when Adam sinned. He wasn't, he wasn't taken by surprise where he went, oh goodness, what am I going to do now? This is all part of the expectation from the very beginning. And it's... it's Scripture. I'll just give you a few of these. This would be a good study you might want to look into. It's called the before the foundation of the world. Just do a search on that. How many things are before the foundation of the world? Let me give you four. John 17, 5 tells me that Jesus was with the Father before the foundation of the world. John 17, 24 tells me he was loved by the Father before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, verse 19 and 20 tells me that the blood of the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So this need for Jesus to pay for my sin and pay his blood before the foundation of the world was already settled before the earth began. And then he chose us, according to Ephesians 1 and 4, before the foundation of the world. And we looked at this last week. Revelation 13, 8 tells me that my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. What I mean is, is God wasn't surprised by any of this. He knew it, and he allows us to be a part of it, and he had a plan from the very beginning. What for? What's the point? Well, one scripture that tells me the point is Ephesians 2, 7. Ephesians 2, 7 tells me that God's doing all of this and did all this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace, his grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Those of us that are believers, those that are in Christ, we will display his grace and his mercy for all of eternity. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this because if they had... According to chapter 2, verse 8, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what they were doing. And I love that. He's called the Lord of glory. Jesus the Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, at his crucifixion, his arrest, and his uh, conviction, and then crucifixion, the religious rulers were, of course, the ones that demanded his blood. But the motivating force behind that, crying out, crucifying, crucifying, I think we can agree was the Satan. But he didn't understand what he was doing. He didn't understand what the outcome was going to be. All he did was play right into the plan of God because God's plan was from the foundation of the world. Now Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9. He starts off with, but it is written... What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And when I see it is written, I challenge you to go see where it's written. Go look it up. 
Look it up and go back to the Old Testament and find it. This one, he's quoting from Isaiah, like the passages we looked at last week, he was quoting from Isaiah. But in this time, he's quoting from two different verses. He's quoting Isaiah 64, 4 and Isaiah 65, 17. And he does something interesting. He takes those two spiritual truths and he combines them together to make one central thought. Isaiah 64, 4 says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God, a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. And then Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now here's the interesting thing. If you take those and you go, Well, Jim, that doesn't read just like what we just read. How are you saying he's quoting from those? Something we have to understand, and nobody told me this in my early walk with Christ. I finally found out eventually, because if you're like me, I like reading in the New Testament. I see where somebody quotes the Old Testament, and I like to go and find that verse in the Old Testament and see what they're quoting and see how it fits into the context. That's just how I like reading and studying Scripture. But what I would find, like you have found if you've done that, is many times in the New Testament, when you look and read an Old Testament passage they're quoting from, it doesn't read the same. It's the same spiritual truth. It's the same central truth, but it doesn't read word for word the same. And there's a reason for that. When you read your Old Testament, you're reading an Old Testament translated into English out of Hebrew. But when they're quoting in the New Testament from the Old Testament, they're not quoting the Hebrew Old Testament. They're quoting the Greek translation called the Septuagint. So there's a slight variation in the reading. Where I used to notice it is in Jesus as being tempted in the garden. And I would read him quoting from the Old Testament. And I go, well, where's he reading from? I believe he's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But if I'd go back and read it, it wouldn't read exactly the same. And I didn't understand why until someone revealed this to me. And I went, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't know that. But see, Paul, he's not changing context. He's not changing meaning. He's taking the spiritual truths out of these two scriptures. He's combining them together to make his case and to provide a cohesive thought that the readers can understand. And he goes on through these passages, and he's making the point that the Spirit of God is our teacher. It's not the person standing up here. It's not the person that's leading a group that you're in. It's the Spirit of God. And he says in verse 9 through 10, he said, But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? And here what Paul is starting to do, he's starting to appeal to what you already know. You know that nobody can read anybody else's mind. We're all human. You may think you understand what I'm saying or what I mean. I may think I understand where you're coming from. I'm looking at the body language. I'm looking at facial expression. And I make assumptions based on that, but I cannot read your mind and you cannot read my mind. And as long as Brenda and I have been together, we almost think we can, but we misunderstand each other often because you cannot read another person's mind. You don't have the ability, and Paul knows that. So he's comparing natural with spiritual. So he makes this point, you know you can't read people's minds, but so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God does know the mind of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, again the natural, but the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Mankind, again. The natural man. We can't imagine the things that God's created. We can't imagine the things he's prepared for us. We can't because it's beyond our intellect. It's beyond our ability. The natural man only knows what he sees, can taste, touch. He knows what he knows from experience. He knows what things in this fallen world system that he lives in. But Paul's point is that we as believers shouldn't make all of our decisions just based on what we already know, what we can see, what we've experienced. Some things you can, but not everything. I'll give you an example, Peter and John. Peter and John didn't have the education Paul had. They hadn't been through those things. These men were fishermen. 
And when you go in Acts for chapter 4, verse 13, you'll find that they were being taken up before the religious rulers of their day and charged. And then afterward it says that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? They were uneducated, common men. These rulers were astonished. They were uneducated. They didn't go to higher learning. They were common men. They were fishermen. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So what's the point? The point is they didn't go to higher education. They didn't go to the university of their day. They went and took up a role in their father's business as fishermen. They were dressed like fishermen. They acted like fishermen. They spoke like fishermen. They were common men. But there was something in them. There was something going on in their life. They had been with Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and the religious leaders were astonished because they, didn't, they just saw these what they thought were ignorant fishermen, but they were speaking the bold truths of the, God, of the God. So how does that work? How does that work in your life? Well, a person of faith actually has a source of wisdom that's well beyond their able, ability to comprehend, and it comes from the Spirit of God that lives in you. You don't know the thoughts of another person, and we never know if what they tell us is actually the truth, but the Holy Spirit, according to these passages, knows everything. He knows your mind, he knows my mind, and importantly, he knows the very mind of God. So the Holy Spirit's lim limitless knowledge. There's nothing he doesn't know. And the important thing for me that Paul's saying is he's making the point that his Spirit lives in us. How does that work? Let me tell you a quick little story. So our oldest boy, he's about 24 now, but when he was a little guy, he hadn't even been started going to grammar school. I think he was probably six or so, maybe five, uh, maybe even four years old, I'm not sure. But I'd take him in, we had a little ritual we went through. I'd take him to bed at night, I'd lay him in his bed. We'd do, Brenda had her thing with him and I had my thing with him. Mine was telling him stories. I'd sit down and he, he really appreciated a story that was just a made-up story. And I'd lay there and I'd go, okay, Josh, what are we going to talk about tonight? And he'd go, hey, I want it to be about, I don't know. His favorite thing was like a squirrel riding a state skateboard or whatever. So I'd just kind of sit down there and spend some dad time with him and, and just enjoy being with him. When this particular night, when this came up, I, I was laying there with him and I laid my head on his chest and I was listening to his heartbeat through his little chest, just a little guy. And then I, I had an idea, and I laid over on his bed, got on my back, and I pulled him over on me and put his head on my chest where he could hear my heart beating. And I could see his little face looking up at me, and as he was listening to my heartbeat, I saw the look in his face change, and I said, hey, you hear that? He said, yeah. I said, you know what that is? He said, oh, yeah. So what? He said, it's Jesus beating on you. I'll never forget that. It's precious. Because what he had grown up hearing all his life is that we have to accept Jesus into our heart. So in his young mind, what he heard was not my heart beating. What he heard was Jesus in there going. Because he understood, even as a young child, that Jesus comes to live in us. And that's what Paul is communicating. He's communicating is that the Spirit of God comes and lives in you. Scripture, I'll give you some, some scripture to support it. So the Spirit of God actually becomes one with your spirit when you're a believer in Christ. Where do I find that? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul's actually speaking about sexual sin when he says this, but he says a great truth. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. His spirit lives in you. It lives in me. My spirit is joined with his spirit. And what Paul is trying to communicate to us and what I'm trying to communicate is that we should be listening to his spirit, speaking to us as we make the decisions of life, and he leads us in the way that we should go. Paul challenges us to know this and live lives with this knowledge and stay in tune to it. See, what God wants, God hasn't hidden all these truths. God's not putting them in some kind of puzzle piece that you might or might not be able to figure out as you go through life. He's not just trying to make it difficult. and He's not just trying to lay, lay it out so that those with great learning can understand these things. God wants us to understand spiritual truth. And he's not only provided us the word of God that we can read, but he's provided the spirit of God to live in us and lead us through it and to teach us 
I'll give you several more scriptures. First John chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, he said, You've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. He said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And in John 14, 26, he tells us the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Paul's not saying don't sit under teaching, don't listen to anybody teach, but he's saying you have the ability through the power of the Spirit of God as you read the Word of God for it to come alive and Him to teach you, and we can teach each other. We have this teacher living in us who knows everything. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 13 to say, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He knows us better than we can even know ourselves, and he knows all truth, and he's able to speak to us so that we don't just live lives in the natural. Verse 11, the natural one is the one who knows, a, no one knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person. That's natural man. But I love verses 11 and 12. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, and then God reveals it to us through the Spirit. You have access to the mind of God through the Spirit of God as He reveals truth to you. And the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us and reveals these things from God to us. How does that affect my life? Well, I'll, I'll ask, does it affect our life? Do we allow it to affect our life? Are we led by the Spirit or are we living in the natural person? We're a body, we're a soul, we're a spirit. You do whatever you do to take care of your body, maybe the way that you eat or whether you ex exercise or whatever. I like exercise, I enjoy it, not everybody does. Uh, and, and we're aware of our soul. You can find more help, self-help books on the soul and your mind, will, and emotions than anything. You'll fill, fill bookshelves with them. But are we aware that we're a spiritual being and are we in touch with that side of our life? Are we, <clears throat> are we feeding the spiritual side of our life? Do we make our decisions just based on intellect, emotions, natural experiences? I got this, God. I've done this before. I know how to do that. I mean, there's, the th there's things I can do. I like working with my hands. Not everybody works with their hands. <clears throat> and there's things I know how to do because I've done them before. And there's a sense of, uh, of uh, accomplishment when I do it and finish it and the task is complete. And I can look at it and go, okay, that worked out pretty good. But I don't want to make all the decisions in my life based on just my emotions, my intellect, and my experience I want to trust my ability and trust the ability of the Spirit of God to speak to me. And, and Paul is challenging us to make sure that we're tuned into that. What he's saying is that his Spirit speaks to your spirit if you're in him and if you're his because he's speaking to the church. He's not talking to people that don't know Christ. And it's not a weird, strange, super spiritual thing. The Spirit of God speaks to all of those that are his. He spent, sent his spirit to guide us into all truth. He's our comforter, our guide. He's the one that comes alongside of us and walks with us. He's the one that guides us through things and helps us to make the right decision because everything he's doing is for one central reason. That's to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he's bearing witness to. Now, the natural person doesn't accept this. Verse 14. The last one in our reading. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. A natural person, a person who doesn't know Christ, a person who the Spirit of God does not live in yet, someone who's not come to know Christ as their Savior, they're still just walking this out and the natural man wondering what's wrong with us and why we make decisions and make a big deal about this because it doesn't make any sense to them because they're still spiritually dead. But they don't have to stay that way. 
They don't currently possess the Spirit of God, but they can be brought to spiritual life. If we'll bear witness to the truth, if we'll live in such a way that the light of Christ shines through us and they see Jesus, that faith that we're talking about as a gift from God can come alive in them and they also can be born again in the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of God lives in them. And they begin to walk this life out. Now, on the other hand, I can be a Christian and I can still be led by how I feel, uh, what appeals to me and my emotional desires, uh, but Paul is making a point. Paul is making a point that the Spirit of God lives in us. He was speaking to the Corinthian church, but he's speaking to us. So we need to learn to listen to him. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? What's that look like? I, I'm going to use this as an example. It's the only way I know to, to try to express it. I, I call it the still small voice. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Still small voice? But it's not really a voice because I don't actually hear it. But, but it's, it's, it's more like I just feel like the Lord is speaking to me about something. It comes up inside of me, somewhere down deep inside of me in my spirit where his spirit's speaking to my spirit, and I just know. I, I just know that what he's saying is, don't do that, or I, I need you to go in this direction. It's not an audible voice. It's not even a full sentence. It's just a thought. It comes to me, and I'm aware that it's him. And what Paul is telling us and what I'm challenging you to do is lean into that. As long as it measures up with Scripture and it's not something contrary to the written Word of God, it's probably the Spirit of God speaking to you. And I have certainly missed it. There have been times when I thought for sure God was leading me in a certain direction. I tried to go in that way and that door shut and I had to go, okay, I missed it there. And there have been other times when I felt like He really wanted me to do something and I didn't and only could regret it later. Look, let me give you some biblical examples. How about Paul? Let's look back at this whole Acts chapter 18 where he went out on his second missionary journey. Well, Paul, he was wanting to preach in Asia. Anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with preaching in Asia. I mean, goodness, Paul was called to preach the gospel, and when he went out, obviously he's looking for places to preach. And everywhere that he went, he assumed, okay, this is going to be the place. We're going to set up camp here. I'm going to preach here. But if you go back and read it, the Holy Spirit forbid him in Asia. In fact, it lists several cities, and when you get there, you think, well, I'm going to go preach here. No, Holy Spirit said no. It, you can make several assumptions. I'll make a few, and I'll go, okay, maybe it wasn't the right time. Maybe it was the right place. Maybe it just wasn't God's timing, but it seems like really that God just really was wanting to move him through Asia to get him over to where he could go to Macedonia and go over to Philippi. And then Paul was directed to Macedonia through a dream. Now, I, I can't speak for you. If God speaks to you through dreams, maybe he does. If he speaks to me through dreams, I have a hard time discerning that because you can ask my wife, I have some crazy dreams. Uh, and, and, and if I tried to analyze those and say, hey, God's speaking to me, there's no telling what I might do. So I don't really flow with that, but he spoke to him about going to Macedonia in a dream. I'll give you another example. How about, how about the natural man? Paul ever operate in the natural man? Yeah. Go back to the very beginning of that ministry journey. They were in Antioch about to leave town, and Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they had to part ways. That wasn't the Spirit of God leading them in that. That's two men who had a difference of opinion who wouldn't give in to each other. And you know how that flows. You've been there. You've done this. You're having a conversation with somebody, and you're adamant about this. They're adamant about their position. And then you, somebody says something that sets the other one off. And maybe on the inside, you hear something say, don't go there, don't go there. And then you go, I'm going there anyway. And you do. And the whole thing blows up. And then Paul and Barnabas, they can't even do ministry together anymore. So Paul knew what it meant to walk in the natural man. But Paul also knew what it meant to be led by the Spirit. How did Paul know that the Spirit of God was telling him not to preach in Asia? I don't know. I know how he speaks into my life. I know that there's times when I just know down inside that this is what the Lord is telling me to do. This is what he's saying to me. I go back. I've got different examples I can give you. I always go back to this example in me because it really galvanized it for me that I knew I could hear from the Lord. I can go all the way back to about 1991. It was fall and I was down in St. Augustine, Florida. And, and, and if if, if you're a Christian who can consume alcohol, praise God for you that you can walk in that liberty. I don't. And I don't for good reason. And, and if you ever want to know, I'll have that conversation with you. But I was in St. Augustine, Florida. I ordered a Budweiser, which was my consume, what I consumed in that day. And I was having a few sips of it. I was a new Christian. I'd been maybe on the Lord less than a year. Hit about three sips off that Budweiser. And I was 
hungry for God. I was a new Christian. I was consuming in his word, and I was asking him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I wanted him more than I wanted anything else. And down inside of me, somewhere deep inside, I felt a question rise up in my spirit as I sit in that third sip, and it said, which one do you want? Now, for me, I can't speak for you. I had consumed alcohol from 16 to 31, and it had not done well in my life or my family's life. And so when I heard that down deep inside, I went, I know which one I want. And I just slid the Budweiser over on the table. And, and, and all I can say is I never wanted to drink again. I, I said, God just delivered me from that. What was that? That was the Spirit of God speaking to me. Was he telling me, hey, you can't be a Christian and drink? No. He was saying, Jim, I want to do something in your life that you can't do. And I want you to obey me. Now, he can do that in you in a many different things. And, and I don't know what he's talking to you about. I don't know what he's trying to lead you in. I don't know what he's got for you. But I know he's speaking to you. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you, just like he lives in me. And he doesn't just take up residence for no reason. He doesn't speak all the time. I don't walk around hearing words from God all the time. But there are moments in my life where I just know he's, he's nudging me. And maybe it is my career path. Maybe it's something in the church. Maybe it's witnessing to somebody or something to one of my children or, 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 or any other decisions that I might make. But the question Paul's asking is, which one do we want? Which, which one are we going to listen to? It, it happens by reading his word. It happens by spending time in prayer. And it happens by the one I struggle with is getting quiet in my prayer time and listening and not just filling the time with endless chatter. It also happens by gathering with other believers. If, if you're not gathering with other believers, if you don't have other believers, if you come to church and you go home, but you don't have other believers in Christ in your life in an active way where you gather together from time to time and you have conversations about spiritual things, then you're missing out on something because we challenge one another. We learn from one another. I hear insights that come up in our group on Wednesday night as we talk about the message from Sunday that it never occurred to me. And I learn from other people, and hopefully they learn from me, and we all sharpen one another as we're on this journey together, growing to maturity in Christ. So again, I, I challenge you, look at these, these groups over the next few weeks as we launch these and get ready to launch these and get involved in one. Because the question is really, do I want to live a life of the natural or do I want to live a life of the spiritual? I can't even answer that question if I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. So as their prayer ministry team come together as we wrap this and come to a close, obviously, if anybody wants to pray about that, and whether you're online, we want to pray with you about that. If you've got other areas in your life you want to pray about, things that you're struggling with, or if there's a decision you're trying to make, or something that's going on in your life, any number of things, come, come and join us. We'll be glad to pray with you in the back. But as always, go and change your world. And we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We worship and honor you. We seek your face and give you glory. Lord, it's all about you. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to hear your voice clearly. Give us the courage uh, to follow it through and to follow the direction that you're giving us in each area of life. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be men and women of the spirit of God more than we want to be people of the natural. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to hear it. Help us to be courageous. And again, we speak life and healing over our pastor and his wife and their family. And we just give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.